Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Sasha and I'm a human and welcome to Too Human for Words. Welcome back. Welcome to Two Human for Words. This is the podcast where we talk to everybody from health professionals to people with lived experience about the similarities in our health experiences and use that as real information to fight for quality of life for everybody. Now, can you believe it? This is the final episode for season one. I just cannot wrap my head around how after all this time of working on it and building it up and talking about it and stressing about it and feeling like a ball of anxiety that we've actually made it to the final episode of season one. I mean, it felt crazy to be starting season one and now to actually reach the end of season one. It feels really surreal. So for everyone that's helped me along the way and been there as moral support and allowed me to interview them, everybody, I'm just so grateful. Um, I am so excited to start recording season two. I'm also so excited to keep talking about season one because we have not even hit the tip of the iceberg of uh, everything that we can talk about that we have. Uh, been through and, and, and gotten from the interviews and the conversations from season one. So I'm really excited to dive deeper with everyone into where we've been through this season. So as far as 2022 and health goals go, it's hard to really make, you know, hard and fast goals because you never know how you're going to go making progress with something. It's always about finding the right person or practitioner or getting the right test and all of those things. But a couple of things that have been on my mind recently about, you know, just things I would like to maybe conquer, I don't know, for this year. One of them is my physical health and my weight. I sort of mentioned it very briefly, but I gained a whole lot of weight very, very fast in the middle of of 2020 and it didn't really make sense. I didn't really eat, you know, enough bad stuff. I ate pretty well and I wasn't inactive enough. I wasn't really exercising enough, but I was still working right the way through and it just didn't add up. And so I've sort of been trying to work out where that's come from and what's been going on and doing all of the tests and looking at everything. But however that goes with sort of the number on the scale, I do really just want to become more confident in myself and comfortable in myself again because I really, you know, lost that, you know, when you start stop fitting into clothes it sort of emotionally affects you and it doesn't really matter it's not really the thing that matters but you just want to feel a bit more a bit more confident a bit more comfortable and I feel like that will come from feeling stronger and fitter and so if I can work on that if that can go smoothly that will be really nice it will be really nice just to feel a bit fitter and stronger that's one of my goals and you know maybe get to the bottom of of why but we'll see we'll see how that goes the other thing that I would really like to get to the bottom of is the inflammation around my calves and my feet that has really been getting to me for a long time and is why I probably mentioned this before but I've been wearing uh, like sort of hiking runners 
as my day-to-day runners because they were just so much more comfortable. So that's something that is really not great that I really love to understand. And for a long time, it's just been like one of those responses from doctors that they just like shrug their shoulders at me. So that would be great to really investigate. So who knows, maybe in the next season, I'll have much more juicier, more interesting health updates for you. But you know how it goes, you sort of feel like the least amount of health updates, the better, but we'll see. We never know what's going to happen. So for today, we are going to talk to Ruini De Silva. Now, Ruini is someone that I met when I did the uh, event for the public speaking talks with Fur Whale, the one that we talked about back in her interview. And she was in the audience that day listening to somebody else and then came up to me afterwards and we had a very brief chat about chronic anxiety and recognizing that as a chronic health condition. So when we say the talks, that is what we mean. We mean the public speaking talks. And she has just the most beautiful way of talking about weather and our emotions and has learned so much from combining her weather science knowledge and wisdom to mental health. And so I really can't wait for you to listen and hear Rowany, so here we are. Have a listen, and I will see you on the other side. So, at the point of the talks at the end, mm-hmm. you came up and talked to me and said that you'd been struggling with anxiety. Yeah. And that you, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but you'd been studying uh, weather science. Yes and had looked at your anxiety through the perspective of weather science. I'm not going to be able to describe it as well as you. But I thought it was so fascinating (laughs) and one of the reasons why we made it here now where we're having Mm. a chat on this podcast is because I was like, you know what, I think there's something that a lot of people can get out of what you have gone through and the process that you took to understand yourself and your own mind, I think is something that a lot of people can really benefit from. Mm, Yeah. So basically I had been experiencing pretty serious anxiety and depression symptoms for maybe since 2015 and I met you around 2017. So it's been a couple of years of that. And even though I'd I'd been in counseling. It seemed bizarre that I was able to like go into counseling and say all the things that were a problem. And then the counselor would say, yeah, that's the problem. And I'd be like, well, now what? (laughs) Um, And even though counseling is super, super helpful, there's still ways that we make sense of our experiences ourselves. And I think creativity and personal sense making is super important. And so you end up applying whatever um, lens that you have on hand. And Weather science is a really beautiful area of sciences. You get to look at a incredibly natural phenomena that people experience on a day-to-day basis and get to understand how it works on a physical level, how the water moves, how the air changes, temperatures, humidities, all these factors that are involved in changing how we feel day-to-day physically. But you can also take that perspective and look at it similar to how our minds work. There's lots of factors that go in our relationships, our work, our family, what we've eaten that day. There's so many factors that go in and and the outputs are feelings. So instead of measuring temperature, humidity, 
and sunlight, you can measure happiness and sadness and uh, anxiety. So after learning a lot about how you can track and model weather, I decided to look at how I could do the same thing for mental health because I was like, well, I might as well just track it and log it because <laughs> that's what science does. So yeah, I started off with just writing down a couple of numbers for each day for a few different things I was feeling. I think I picked high feelings, low feelings, anxiety and focus. So I'd put a number down for each of them once in the morning and then once in the evening. I wasn't too set on when I would do it. And then I think I just kept this up for like two months. Of course, there were like gaps, but that happens all the time with data. So at the end of it, I had um, two months of uh, quantitative data on how I had been feeling for the last two months and threw it in Excel, made a couple of graphs and it was all over the shop. It was, <laughs> it was crazy, but there were some really cool patterns that came out of it. I noticed that when I was getting really happy, excitable, over the moon feelings, very quickly I would usually experience really low feelings. And if I was kind of calm and, and those high and low feelings were kind of more towards the zero end, I would have more focus, which was really interesting because I thought before that, like just feeling happy and excited was really good and that's something I should like aspire to but then I don't know that like Zen Buddhist philosophy kind of came back as like you know if you're kind of feeling too much of one way or the other that's eventually gonna show up as turbulence I guess mm -hmm. so not only did it give me a really good way of seeing what my mind looked like on a day-to-day -day basis it gave me something that I could show to people which I think is the most incredible like gift I got out of this because for the first time I felt like there was something that showed somewhat objectively what was happening to me on a day-to-day -day basis. And my family took me quite seriously about it and my friends did. They had taken me seriously before, but there was something really new about seeing the chaoticness of what was happening. From there, I could look at that and say, okay, I don't want these numbers to look like this anymore. That's a really cool thing. Once you, once you have some sort of track of what your life has been like, you can, you can see it and reflect on it and go, okay, what do I want it to look like in the future? And then start making concrete changes to make it happen. And of course, whatever that visualization or output looks like for you, for any person will be different. I know lots of people want, like to do art. Lots of people like to speak poetry or write poetry. This was just a different kind. <laughs> Which really fascinates me because it's so different to what I would think of because I'm not a right. structured thinker like that. My brain <laughs> is chaotic and mm -hmm. I think you use the word turbulent. <laughs> I think that's what I yeah. what I relate to. But so being able to actually graph it, but the fact that you without someone going, oh, this might be helpful for you, you like <laughs> on your own went, mm, this is sort of how my mind works and what makes yeah. sense to me. And you took that and did something about it. How did it affect your family? You just you mentioned about talking to your family and yeah, what sort of conversations yeah. came out of that? I think instead of saying I'm not feeling well today or like I just don't want to do anything right now, I could just say this number adds up to 10. If I was feeling like anxious and low, then those two numbers would be maybe like eight and seven and together those would, that would be a bigger number. So it would be, th there was something really satisfying about not having to talk about how you felt and why, but more just say, this is my symptom and it rates this much. It was like being able to show someone here, my hands hurt, like this is the cut. Can you see it sort of thing? Yeah. Which 
people with mental health problems really struggle to do because it's all invisible. That was the thing that really changed. I just felt like there was something I could show and then something that could change if the next day I had taken a few hours to just not do anything and then I had logged that evening that I was more calm, then I could talk to my parents and say, look, this this is the this is the change that's happened and they could hear it maybe in my voice but my parents are quite far live quite far away from me they live in Perth so it was really cool for them to have something yeah something slightly more tangible to work with i think tangible is a really good word yeah so i feel like with invisible illness that's something that we're looking for all the time to mm. be able to talk about it and to be able to explain to people what's going on, yeah. you know, and yeah. I think also that allows us to validate it in ourselves. I think mm-hmm. I may have talked about it briefly in the talks on that night that I had a few different sort of ideas that I was like, well, what if we did this or this yeah. and how yeah. would that help society? And I think one of the ideas that I had was a rating scale yes. for almost any sim- symptom or struggle that you were going through that you could put a number to so that you didn't have to go through having to find the words and you could just say this is the feeling or this is the symptom or this is the struggle and the struggle might be needing food and needing a meal cooked or something and today it's a two because I can do it myself but tomorrow might be an eight and I really need help you know making food or something like that and so I sort of related to what you were talking about in that concept Mm. of being able to put it in a way that was I think more universally communicated and there's a thing with having to put things into words when the experience is already so uncomfortable and it's hard to sort of get the right amount of attention just to to support you in that moment. Yeah, it was really fun. (laughs) It may seem a bit odd to show a mental health graph to someone and be like, this is funny or fun, but but it was. It was really, there was an element of playfulness and creativity to it that I was really proud of. And when you are surrounded by people who are trying to support you and you find a new way to help yourself people are generally very supportive for that in itself but then when you do something that they also find interest or an element of themselves in as well there's something really powerful about that a lot of the people I was friends with at the time were also studying science also in weather and climate um, doing areas of mathematics so we were able to discuss the validity of my methods we were able to talk about whether I had been biased in some of my interesting. Um, in, yeah, in some of the ways I had gone about logging the data and uh, whether it was rigorous enough and I was given some advice on how to – there's different ways of visualising data. So one way is to just have – imagine having temperature and uh, humidity just on a scale. They could be two lines together. But if you have two things that are related to each other, such as anxiety and depression, and both of those are two separate numbers, you ca- you want to know what each trait or each um, feeling – is rating for that day but you also want to know what the cumulative amount is as well because if you're feeling fairly anxious but not that depressed then that's kind of still okay like you're not too bad if you're feeling kind of anxious and kind of depressed at the same time that number together probably is a better indicator of how you're feeling so yeah we played with how you can add up some of the numbers to have like a cumulative 
amount and you can sort of stack the graphs on top of each other. This is getting a bit detailed. No. Yeah, no, the detail's good. <laughs> yeah, so you can stack the numbers on top of each other and get sort of these bigger spikes that happen when two things occurred at the same time. So kind of like if you have a wave coming on one side and wave on the other, if they coincide, that that's a bigger hit at once, right? So those moments were really interesting because there were times when I'd be really focused, but I'd be very stressed at the same time. You could look at, okay, so what, how, like, why did that happen? And because we all have our calendars and we kind of know what we're doing day to day. So you can kind of look back and go, oh, that's maybe what caused it. Yeah. It just gave, it gave you something to work with, I guess, and discuss. And I think that's really helpful sometimes when you've been this happens to me. I just get sick of having to tell people that things aren't going well. <laughs> totally. It sucks sometimes. You start to feel like a broken record. You're like, oh, I'm just that person. Yeah. And this is where the role of creatives and artists come in and, and sense makers. And I think I think of myself as a creative. Yes, I kind of operate in the sciences, but I don't see those disciplines as too separate. I think creativity, the idea of creativity is any way of really thinking outside of an already mm. created structure. Exactly. Or system. It's it's when you can use those use those mediums to express something that's happening within you and create meaning and value for other people. That's the most beautiful thing. Which is really cool because I know when I spoke to you the very first time, you were like, oh, it was just for me. And I was like, that could really, really help a lot of people. And then your experience, you wanted to see like a reason for it with how it would help other people. And I think we all want to see bigger reasons for the struggles. Yeah. There's a few different groups that I'm particularly aware of now. I think definitely students with diverse learning needs is probably one of the things I want to be able to help with at some point. I was very lucky to have pretty easy time in primary and secondary school, secondary not so much, but mm -hmm. generally speaking, I had it pretty good. During that whole time, I don't think I t thought twice about the people who were struggling. That all changed when I got to uni, of course. I knew where the disability and oh, I can't remember what they're called but there was like a disability help center at uni. I knew who they were I knew what their phone number was I knew what was required to get extensions on certain assignments I knew what sort of avenues you had to go through I knew the, the counselors names at uni I knew how long it took to get a counseling appointment it was a very long time I had had several conversations with different lecturers and tutors about mental health problems. I'd gotten some really good feedback. I'd gotten some really, not negative, but maybe unhelpful feedback. I had been through mental health first aid training. That was interesting. I did the mental health first aid training as part of living on campus and being sort of like a student leader as part of the residential accommodation. And I think maybe there was one person I helped before myself during a crisis and then the next stop it was just me yeah basically the second person that I used mental health first aid on was myself uh, what was that training it's basically how to respond to someone having a mental health crisis and what wh what it's like to be the first responder what do you do what are the signs and symptoms of um, suicidal thoughts of eating disorders of anxiety of depression all these things you, you get put through um 
a few different scenarios and yeah you you learn how to respond to it you're not perfect at recognizing all of this you're not a mental health professional at the end of it but it does mean that there are more people that know a little more about what to look out for this is probably an obvious question but what is deemed as a mental health crisis there's probably a, a definition out there for myself i would put it as a moment where someone is no longer capable of caring for themselves due to a mental health situation and that's not to say like they can't walk or they can't eat or something like it might just be like they've panicked over giving a public presentation and they're stressed and they're they're not speaking as well as they could have mental health is interesting that like if you're able to respond quite early you can bounce back super easy and the treatments for that kind of thing is usually just like someone noticing that you're panicking and being able to say hey what's up how are you going listen empathetically to what's going on check in with you make you feel calm and secure and then you might be good to go again right like if you just get those fears off your chest you might be fine there will be other situations where you'd realize someone's been suffering for a year or more. People either have noticed or they haven't been able to do enough or something has escalated at this moment. Maybe there's signs of suicidal thoughts. Maybe there's signs of self-harm. Maybe there's a sign of serious eating disorder. Like maybe this person looks like they're about to collapse. There's, there's a really big range of what can happen with mental health. Basically, when a situation where someone's like having trouble taking care of themselves in the moment and Really, at the end of this, you're not expected to take care of them. The expectation or hope is that you can connect them to a mental health professional or a safe place where they can then follow on to get treatment. I've probably mixed up a few details as it's been a while since I did the certification, yeah. but no, something along those lines. interested because I feel like it's so hard for us to validate what's going on with ourselves, whether it is physical or mental, and yeah. a mental health overlaps with physical health a lot of the time like I don't think you can avoid having some level of mental health to deal with when you've got any sort of condition mm. and I think quite often we go oh it's it's fine it's fine you know <laughs> so at what point do we listen yes for other people but then also ourselves to go maybe this deserves some attention and maybe that comes back to your chart with what you yeah. were doing mm -hmm. what did you get out of doing your chart where you went okay now I feel a bit more empowered to do yeah whatever the next uh -huh. step was for you there were some things I did so this goes a little bit further into the to the numbers so one of the things I started looking for was if the numbers added up to more than 25 for the negative stuff so like anxiety and low thoughts low feelings and high feelings if the number of all of them combined on a single day was more than 25 that would be a red flag for me if any of the numbers were above was above five for more than three days that was a red flag yeah basically it's it's similar to how I see weather again I love that comparison by the way so <laughs> I love for you to keep using yeah, that sure. metaphor without because sure. I think it works so it works well for really everyone well. to visualize, visualize as well. yeah. yeah yeah so think about a hot day right it's sunny, it's warm, you're looking out and it's blue skies and you're thinking, this is great, this is nice. It's been a week, still hot. I'm like, okay, it's been kind of hot for a while. It's like hitting 29 degrees. You're kind of like, ugh, like want the cool breeze to hit. It's been two weeks and it's now rocketed up to 34 and the stress is setting in because maybe you're in an area that has a high proportion of elderly. Elderly don't do well <laughs> in 
hot weather, but in particular, it's the it's the duration of hot weather that gets people, and especially when you don't have a break. Uh, if you have hot weather during the day and then a, a cool night, you can re- relax and reset. Have you ever slept, like slept through a struggle to sleep through a really hot night? And you wake up the next day as if you haven't slept at all. It's the duration of the extremes that you're exposed to, right? And people, we we know this about weather and climate. We can tolerate a departure in our comfortable temperature zone for a little bit, but if that sticks around for a really long time, it may be hard to put your finger on what's wrong, but if something's been off for a while, that will get you more than something being really off for a little bit and then coming back to normal. Kind of like if there was a sudden flash of uh, rain for like an hour and then it went away, you'd be fine. But if it rains and then it rains and then it rains and then it rains, then you're going to have flooding because the environment can't absorb that much water. Maybe you'd, you would like to um, draw that analogy for depression, right? Like if you're feeling sad one day, but you're happy the next day, you're fine. But if you feel sad and then you feel sad and then you feel sad, like you, you, can't, you can't absorb that much difficulty and that will eventually accumulate. And that's the really important thing with mental health is that, and chronic illness in general, is that it's the accumulation of the pain or the suffering over days or months or years that that's where a lot of the difficulty lies. And it's really hard to communicate that because if you look on any day, it's like, well, it's not that bad. It's just, it's been so long. (laughs) You know, it is a really appropriate way of explaining chronic illness. Definitely that over a sustained period of time, it really wears you down. In the beginning, you might be coping because it hasn't been going for that long, Mm. but your coping mechanisms really struggle and start to struggle and your resilience and your lack of ability to be proactive and what's the word advocate for yourself becomes more difficult the lack for the longer that you are in yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, I can really relate to that because you start to question whether it's you or not. There's something about having a broken bone where you can be like, oh, my arm's broken, but you don't associate yourself as being broken. I think there's there's some situations where that's not so true. I think with elite athletes or any athlete who um, suffers a hit to like if you're a runner and you break your leg, like that's that's awful. That's that's like part of your part of your work and your career. But generally, if if you're not tied to having use of your arm all the time, then you can kind of be like, okay, my arm is broken, but I'm okay. But with mental my health, arm's broken, but I'm not broken. I'm not broken, right? <laughs> yeah. But there's something with mental health where it's like, am I broken? And I think someone, I'm not gonna say the name, but somebody said to me, like, I just want to fix you, and it was the most heartbreaking thing to hear because it makes you want to cry. It's yeah, I know because yeah. you can't fix people. Like people are who they are in the moment. Yeah, for someone to describe any a person as broken, I think is really reductive. <laughs> Definitely. But yeah, I so relate to the feeling of feeling broken. Absolutely. And yes. putting that on myself. And sometimes, sometimes it's like, a, well, this is what I am now, you know, it has yeah. been definitely a wave. I guess I've always found the whole idea of acceptance really difficult because I've not known how to accept it without losing myself in it 
you know, rather than accepting and being like, well, no, now this is what I have to work with. Mm. How am I productive with that? I don't know. The word, I think that's, it's just not the right word for Mm. me, you know. Definitely I think there's maybe I haven't landed on the right word yet, but (laughs) to have more of a productive way of accepting and moving forwards. And I think being broken can sometimes be or it has been for me a a way of sitting in my discomfort and maybe perpetuating the story that I was telling myself. Then I went through a process of having to go, well, how do I not make this my identity? Yeah. Because I definitely allowed it into my identity. Mm. I think it's okay to feel broken. Yeah. It's definitely okay to feel like something's not right. That's a place you can start from. The reason why I try and encourage myself to use other words like I'm going through a difficult time or it's a challenge or it's something that I'm going through it makes it seem like it's a journey slash an adventurous chapter (laughs) I think the issue with saying I'm broken and owning it as part of your identity is it feels final Yes. Whereas what you're saying, like it's challenging or it's a difficult period or whatever is is just this moment in time. Whereas Transient. I am broken is like this is now it. Yes, this is now it and there was a state that I was that I will no longer return to and that's a bad thing. I really love that uh, image and there's a word in a description that goes with it and it's been flying around on the internet for a few years. Mm. It's a Japanese bowl and there's a word, <gasps> yeah, where it's broken and it's got cracks but they filled it with gold and there's a specific word for it yeah. where that's how they repair broken ceramics yeah. and that makes so much yeah. sense to me and there mm. is a big part of me that wants my cracks to be filled with gold so I'm like see there was a purpose to it all yeah I found that really beautiful when I saw it as well it was a yeah it was a like a a pottery piece that had been inlaid with gold where it had cracked and it was like a, a beautiful piece and I think that really inspired people because yeah it's kind of in the same way of showing scars as beautiful totally and seeing survival and then renewal This is something I also connect to the environment. Some of the most incredible natural landscapes are ones that go through immense transformation. There are lakes in Australia that only fill up once a year and they're barren for so much time. And you you could look at them and think nothing will ever grow there. (laughs) But then it fills up with rain and then like all this grass and seeds pop out of nowhere and fish turn up from eggs that have just been lying dormant and all these birds turn up to have a party and it's just yeah that's that's something that the environment does and bushfires in Australia is a really good example yeah areas of vegetated bushlands which are sort of primed to be burned down to the ground and then renew themselves once the seeds have been exposed to enough heat to let them crack open, right? Because they won't grow until there's space to grow. And it's like <laughs> those those are really like transformative, almost bizarre expressions of natural survival, right? Maybe some people can go through their life being a peaceful, serene forest that's <laughs> undisturbed by trauma, but that's not everyone. I feel like it's not real. 
as well. I think we can look at people's lives and make the assumption that, you know, they just somehow (laughs) are smooth sailing and it's all tropical beaches. Mm. But, you know, that's like the Instagram. Yeah, that's the (laughs) Instagram reality, not highlight. There's always something, even I think some people do sail through life a bit more than others, Mm. but it's not, everyone has to deal with life in some way or another. So I was just going to say, I think it's time. Um, we're going to play a little game called the DM game until it cool. gets a better name. <laughs> so you're going to draw out uh, two questions and they're a bit more lighthearted and we're both going to answer them and we're going to see what happens. What's your best trait? What's your worst trait? I know. I picked, I picked two tools. <laughs> Was that is that one question or is that, that two questions? Oh, two questions in one. Yeah. Right, do you have an answer? Um, best trait. I think my best trait would be my openness. I think I'm a pretty open person. That's gotten me into trouble sometimes. I think I <laughs> don't have enough judginess in me sometimes. But I think being open to new ideas and people is a really wonderful thing, and it means I make new friends which is really good. Yeah. So I'm really glad to have met you because I was open to just coming to have a chat with you, even though I didn't know who you were, apart <laughs> from the talk. You didn't know who I was. I was just some face in the audience. Um, so, yeah, that, that openness is really good. Um, my worst trait, yeah, I probably wouldn't say anyone's traits are the worst, but I think yeah. I'll, I'll say a trait that causes me the most difficulty in my sure. life is that I'm – very disorganized. Okay. And this, I'm surprised. I know. Everyone's so surprised. <laughs> everyone's so surprised when I say this, but yeah, I find myself maybe by nature to be incredibly disorganized. Like I I will do what like if there's like that child version of me that she just doesn't want to organize anything, just wants to go with the flow. And I have to sort of like take her by the hand and be like, okay, we're going to like plan. She's like, I don't want to. It's just like, yeah, it's it, being organized is a real struggle for me, but I, it's, it's something that I, I'm really trying to be better at. And I think people have recognized this. So thank you people for thinking I'm organized. <laughs> I think it's because of the, you know, the way that you look at life with your sort of scientific way of analyzing mm, things that yeah. there is the expectation that of course you're organized. <laughs> no. <laughs> what about yourself? It's funny. I would have said that I think my best trait is being friendly because I feel like I do – it's funny because I do need to retreat and take time to build my energy, but I also get energy from people. And so I really enjoy being able to talk to almost anyone. Nice. It's taken me time and I do get a lot of social anxiety and I do have to build myself up. It doesn't just happen. It's not just a click my fingers and I ha- like I I'm not filled with confidence, but I do enjoy talking to people. Um but on the flip side, it's interesting because you sort of reminded me that I definitely have been too trusting and I will often like not have my guard up and being too friendly can be interpreted as flirting, which I find is like the weirdest thing. And I'm just like, it goes right, right over my head. I'm like, I thought we are just having a good conversation. <laughs> so I can so be like funny. super naive. Um, and also just completely put my trust in people that I should not at all. And often because I go to like accept people 
as they are without being discerning and when they're not the people that I should be around. So that can definitely bring some bad experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So it can work for me and it can definitely work against me. Yeah, it's probably one of my worst traits because I think I cannot make decisions to make changes when I need to. Yeah. Yeah. I relate a little too much to this. What's the next one? Moving on. (laughs) What is something you are ashamed of that you'd really like to release? Oh, my God. These are heavy. These are heavy. The last few times I've done this, they've been a bit more lighthearted. This is the heaviest one. This is, yeah. They really are. Cool. So um, something I'm ashamed of. I think I would say I'm ashamed of not being brave enough. I'm wanting to release that into the world because – I want to acknowledge that a lot of my problems could have been solved earlier if I had been brave enough to step up, step out and face everything head on. And that's okay. That's a really good answer. (laughs) It's a really good answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because as you're talking, I'm like, oh, I have so many. (laughs) I'm I'm like, oh, this is funny because I'm getting excited. I'm like, man, I'm a basket case. (laughs) Maybe this isn't the stuff I should be getting excited about. But I'm like, oh, I relate. You made me think that I definitely have a fear of judgment that has gotten in my way with doing things that I would love to release. Mm. Uh, Body image would definitely love to stop caring about body image. Uh, Oh, my God, I'm going to really struggle to finish here because I've got so many. I have a real responsibility complex where I need to fix things Um, and often that's caused me to feel ashamed because then I'm not doing what I should be doing. Right. For like myself and everything. Yeah. So probably healing that responsibility complex, also the shame around that would be cool to let go of as well. Mm. And I think I had one more. I think the the making decisions, which I think also has something to do with the responsibility complex Mm. now that I'm thinking about it because Mm. I think I feel responsible for other people, other things, and so then I don't make the decisions and it serves as like a good excuse for me to not make decisions in my own life because I'm too busy with whatever else I'm looking after. I have a whole bunch of stories and issues going on, man. That's okay. <laughs> well, that's really interesting because I, I relate to those things about the responsibility complex and were you saying like not being able to make decisions? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like how I relate to the bravery thing because I think if I had been brave enough to see earlier on that I couldn't possibly do everything that I was trying to do. I would have been able to say it's okay I'm just gonna let it go like I've tried and it's not working there's something yeah just really like head in the sands about not being able to face the fact that something's not working in your life and just pushing on in a direction that's not working and going like everything's fine and causing yourself heaps of problems putting pressure on yourself as well as the people around you who are trying to help you see the fact that it's not working and I think yeah for me the positive way out of it was to be like I know I've made those decisions before but now I'm I'm braver when it comes to facing the facts and facing reality hopefully doing all that stuff in the past has made me yeah it's given me the wisdom to be able to be brave or be okay with the consequences of saying that's all that's enough for today yeah. Yeah. I have one more thing that mm. I want to ask you before I get into because we're probably almost ready to start wrapping up. But before we do, 
with your whole experience and mm. the chart and everything, how did that change how you managed everything? And I mean, did it change how you thought of what you were going through or how when you felt like you weren't having a great day, how you managed that for yourself and what you did? Even though I don't log those feelings day to day anymore, I can still imagine what those numbers would be on any moment, I guess. Actively logging how you're feeling twice a day makes you check in with yourself at those moments. And I think that's not something that is taught at home or in schools. It's something that unfortunately people with chronic health issues have to learn how to do because no doctor is going to be able to hang out with you every day while you are going through everything unless it's a really serious condition. A lot of the time with chronic health, it's something that's with you as you're on your own. So um, we learn how to look at our symptoms. We learn how to put them under a microscope and say, what is this? Yeah, it was. it really taught me to check in with myself and it taught me how I can make sense of my own life. I think that sense making is really important because really that's what skilled counsellors will help you do. If you can do it yourself, you're saving yourself a lot of energy because counselling is super important, but I also understand that that's not always accessible to everyone, maybe due to money or time or location. So um, if you can find ways to make sense of what's happening to you, then you can use that to inform how you're going to act to mitigate the issue. So I learned how to, yeah, change my behavior on a daily basis if needed to try get those numbers imaginary at this point because I was just like thinking about them like, oh, I'm about eight out of 10 anxious today. So how, how can I bring that down? Okay. Having a cup of tea will bring it down to a seven. Okay. Have a cup of tea. How do you feel? It's about a seven. It's like, okay, good job. Like just those little incremental differences I learned how to, you know, give myself a mental warm hug <laughs> <I like that. laughs> and just like be really proud of those small changes that you make. And then I think that's also something I started doing when I was with friends. I think some people you can pick up when they're stressed or when they're feeling down. I was someone who <laughs> people just couldn't tell. <laughs> like It was so funny. Like I'd go through the whole day and and somebody would be like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I feel terrible. And they're like, oh my gosh, what's happened? <laughs> and it's like uh, it's something about my personality or the way I behave. It's, it's really hard to pick up how I'm feeling. So I learned with my friends to say, right now, I'm like eight out of 10 anxious. And I need you to just like be there for me right now. And they're like, oh, okay, do you need anything? I'm like, no, I just need you to know. I'm like, cool. And that's it. And that would help. And then at the end of the day, I'd be like, cool, I'm like four out of 10 now. Thank you. And they'd be like, I didn't do anything. And I'm like, but you did. (laughs) (laughs) And your awareness of that, actually giving yourself that number probably really helped to be like, oh, it's changed. It's changed. Yeah. Yeah. It may not be zero, but as long as it's not 10, we're good. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now this loops back into our D&M questions. But I'm super intrigued about how shame relates to all oh of this. Oh my goodness! Oh, because yes. like it's it's in everything, Absolutely. and it's in and this is something that is in all of our experiences, and we don't realize how much in common we all have Mm. with our shame Mm. and it's one of the things that prevents us from getting help it's one of the things that prevents us from feeling like we have a community Mm. and it's probably one of the things that we all have the most in common Mm -hmm. yet we all hide the most absolutely 
and I know I've struggled with it so much mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and probably going back to the DM questions, like one of the biggest shames I'd like to release is my expectations on myself of where I should be in life oh, yes. and doing what I feel like I should mm-hmm. be doing and should have done by now and all of those things. And what chronic illness does is it makes you reevaluate your life in such a way and what your life might look like mm-hmm. compared to what you thought it would be. Having that conversation whether with yourself and then having the conversation about your experience with people I think is a constant or it constantly evolves how shame relates to yeah and because you are such an open person I just like wonder how you got to that place because for me I know it's taken me a long time and I sort of pendulumed from not telling anyone because I thought that's what it was to be strong Mm. and to not be a complainer was you don't tell anyone and then that didn't go very well to then telling everyone any everything because (laughs) I thought all they need to know so that I'm communicating and then I had too much sympathy and too much pity and they were just I went back and forth between you know so yeah how did you get to that yes point so when I was first becoming ill that was around 2015 and the main thing that was happening was I was basically failing math a first year math unit I would walk into class and look at the exercise sheets and I would just feel like I was being eaten alive on the inside I didn't understand what the numbers meant I didn't understand what they were asking if anyone asked me a question I'd be like I don't even know what I would do I ended up just walking out of class several times because I couldn't handle the amount of stress I was under I didn't understand what was going on unfortunately I didn't tell anyone either I think things would have been very different if I had said something and this relates back to bravery I think at that point I was still I still saw myself as the girl who was the best in math in her class in primary school and then one of the best in high school. You know, it's it, it didn't compute that I could be struggling so badly and that I couldn't even do the first exercise on the problem set. And of course, if you miss the first one, you can't do the second week and you can't do the second week, can't do third week. And it would, I, I just couldn't tell anyone. And I remember having my peers around me and then looking at them and being so afraid, like painfully afraid that they would look at me and realize I was a complete fraud, that I had no idea what I was doing and that I was just completely out of my depth and I didn't belong. Basically, I I failed the math class. I redid it. And at that point, when I was still struggling, I realized I needed to see a counselor. When they were kind of describing to me like, oh, you have anxiety. I was like, what? (laughs) No. (laughs) But I think that was that's kind of where it began. Yeah, there were there were a lot, a lot of other things going on as well in terms of the different extracurriculars I was involved in, and I was spreading myself too thin, and just I started having really frank discussions with those community members saying I'm overloaded, I have to I, I have to bail, I have to go, I'm sorry. And even though that was really really hard, and I'm still unhappy with myself for not calling it sooner, I'm still happy that. I did say something when I did and not let it get any worse in disappointing people because that's what happens when you say you can do things that you can't do, right? <laughs> you disappoint people. At the same time, people are very forgiving and understand that these things happen. So yeah, I, I think in having those conversations and realizing that people will forgive you and people will understand and people will 
respond with love and compassion to honesty and that that bravery will give you a lot of respect because people know that you're going through a hard time. So, yeah, I think it was just a collection of really honest conversations and and slowly building up that understanding that people will forgive you and people will love you regardless and think you're amazing and that the expectations you have on yourself are completely different to what people have of you. People respect people who can own up to their faults and do their best to change things, right? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you the thesis questions. Go for it. And these are the questions that I ask everyone. Cool. The first one is, what do you think is good about the system? I think it's really important to acknowledge what's mm, working because yeah. we need to build a foundation upon what's yes. what's working. Awareness about mental health being a significant factor in well-being. That's working. Professional mental health training, not for, and I'm not speaking about counsellors or um, mental health professionals. I, I mean, people who are in the workplace or in schools or in the day-to-day life who are being trained in mental health um, first aid or how to recognise the symptoms and self-teaching themselves, that's working. And that's partly to do with awareness. And I think workplaces and institutions are becoming more accessible to people with chronic health in general. Um, I think I saw that a bit at the university that I studied at and in my current workplace, which is really exciting. So those are really good things. Uh, If you could change the system in any way, what would you change? And by system, I do mean it could be any sort of system or structure, if it's the healthcare system or the the political system or the social system, our community system. So whatever sort of structure you think influences your experience. I think the main one I'm concerned about like I'm incredibly biased in that I see this through the lens of my own experience in higher education but I I do really think that higher education is becoming maybe maybe it's just in Australia but it's becoming depersonalized university became used to be a place that you could go to meet like-minded people and connect with your lecturers and tutors and be inducted into the world of your discipline that's becoming more and more an elite experience that only people who go to specific networking events and work unpaid in different science labs for um, different academics and people who have a lot of extra energy and time to over invest on top of their fees into inducting themselves and like fighting to get that sort of information, it's really hard for someone who is experiencing chronic health issues or chronic mental health issues to do those things. I think I will always be trying to catch up for what I've lost <laughs> in in things that I haven't been able to do at university. And I'm okay with that, but I don't want that to be the case for everyone. Before I go on to the next question, I know that all of these experiences are like templates with what you experience in life yeah. with so many things and one of them is grief. Yes. And have you experienced that? Absolutely. I think there was a period from when I graduated from uni for about a year that I felt like I was mourning myself, that I was grieving for the person that I could have been if I had excelled at university in the way that I had expected myself to and that I had become the person that people had described to me that I could be. And it's hard. It's really hard to look in the mirror and see some a version of yourself that you didn't expect to be. But at the same time, with that comes a really valuable 
and rich set of experiences that I can now take forward into um, whatever area I do go into. Yeah, bring with me an awareness of mental health, a exquisite understanding of my own uh, <laughs> responses to certain situations, whether it's um, yeah, climate and weather events or certain people or certain yeah, triggers, I guess, like I've, I've learned all that information and I can bring it to my friends and family if they're struggling. I can bring it to people in my workplace. I can bring it into how I educate others in my work. Yeah, it's it's not what I asked for, but it's what I've got and I'll I'll work with it. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> it feeds into my next question actually yeah. pretty well. Um, is there a silver lining or what has been the biggest lesson that this experience with your health has given you? The biggest lesson is that I'm not a traditional version of a science scientist or citizen scientist. I don't work in, in science, you know. Well, I don't work as a scientist, I think is what I should say. I do work in like education and specifically science and tech education, which is really exciting. In all these experiences that kind of took me to the side and too far left and a bit all over the place, I've picked up all these awesome skills and contacts and uh, experiences that I otherwise wouldn't have that have given me this really interesting resume and also story. Could you give one example? Yeah, of course. I'll give you an example of um, resume-wise. I ended up working for a a youth consulting group is probably the best way to put it, called YLab. And if I had gone straight into a science job, I wouldn't have had the experience of working for a really innovative and unusual workplace. It was all remote. You could come into the office if you wanted to, but we got projects to, to do as they became available. And it was a, a really wonderful group of like-minded people who were looking to, yeah, create some sort of social impact or do something differently and work on issues that relate to young people. And that was really incredible in showing me the kind of workplace I wanted to be part of. That's something that I bring forward into now my expectations of what I want my workplace to be. I, I know what a really yeah I, I kind of have a flavor of something really awesome and and through that through, through that work I also got other opportunities so that's something I'm super grateful for and then so that's a resume one and, and story um I think this is a really good example like if I hadn't if I had been in the audience just as a support for my other friend and hadn't resonated so much with your story one I wouldn't be sitting in front of you today and having this conversation and connecting with your experiences and maybe sharing the story but also I wouldn't have understood and I wouldn't have been able to relate as much to you and to all the other people who have talked to me about their own experiences and that's been something super um, valuable is that now uh, yeah people talk to me more about mental health because they know like oh it's rude she likes to talk about mental health you know <laughs> and it's nice being that sort of community resource. What does quality of life mean to you? Oh, it means being able to live fully in a way that allows you to reach your goals. Yeah, I think I think being able to reach your goals is important. Like quality of life is different to length of life. And similarly, like your goals are not something that have to be reached in a certain amount of time. Like if you can reach them faster, that's great. <laughs> and uh, I think similarly with quality of life, it's like if you have a quality of life, you can be happy today. It's just like you're able to live fully in the present. 
What do you wish people knew about your experience? It's interesting because I tell people a lot of stuff. Yeah. So it's like, what? what or is there know? something that you say the most that you feel like is important to communicate? Yes. So I want people to know that they don't need to tiptoe around me. We're pretty much the same. That's that's the thing underneath it. Like at the end of the day, we've got like ninety nine point nine nine something <laughs> ridiculous amount of DNA that's the same. We're all human, and we've all felt anxiety and we've all felt pain and we've all felt happiness like they're all the same emotions right it's just some people feel them on a different scale or different intensity to others and yeah but we're not that different what do you wish people would say to support you i wish or do oh say or do i would love it if people could learn about mental health i would love it if people knew the rates of youth suicides in Australia, particularly young men, as in like not particularly young men need to know, but it's particularly the rates of male suicides in Australia of young men is really high. And this is something that I was, that was news to me that that's something. And I, I, I want people to know how to do mental health first aid. And I would love it if people understood what it means to have an eating disorder. The kind of way, the way we sort of had this cultural knowledge of what a broken bone is and what it's like to have gastro and like all these things that you, that happen to you. There's a lot of value in community awareness of a condition. I think if we could extend that now to mental health, we would be a lot better off. Empathetic listening. I think if people knew about empathetic listening, That'll be really great. Most of my friends do, so that's really good. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, more people. <laughs> There's something you said earlier. I think you said to your friend, I'm an 8 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, what do you want me to do? And yeah. you said, nothing, just be here. Yeah. I think that's super important. Absolutely. Because I think yeah. everyone is so wired to fix things to some level. Yes. That if we feel like we can't fix things, then we feel super uncomfortable because whatever the person's going through feels really unknown to us. So yeah. we have a bit of like the fear of unknown. And so some people run away from the discomfort of other people rather than mm. knowing how to just sit there and listen or, or just be there physically. Yes. That's that's something super valuable. And you're right. Some people struggle with it, but it's really powerful. Yeah, yeah. I think part of what I feel like is important to me about doing these conversations is that we take away a bit of the fear of the unknown with discomfort and, and other people's discomfort. And we say, well, even if we don't know what it is that the other person's going through, we can just be there. Mm. And sometimes that is so much more than enough mm. and, is, and is exactly what they need. Sometimes, you know, the other person doesn't want to be fixed or, you know, sometimes asking what can I do can be a really big question. Like the details <laughs> of those answers may be different, but mm. how we support each other in those initial actions is often quite the same. Absolutely. You know, by saying what can I do or just, just being just being around and, and empathetic listening I think is a really good phrase. I think that's, yeah. that's going to be coined. <laughs> <laughs> it has been. I think I'm has not it? the first person okay. to use oh, it. Excellent. Yeah. I like that. It's really good. So my lucky last thing that I'm going to ask you um, is has this changed your humanness in any way? Mm. Yes. It's made me braver, love more deeply, live more presently and be kinder to myself and others and far, far more forgiving than I started out 
as yeah it's pretty big mm. <laughs> well thank you so much i really enjoyed this conversation oh thank you when we talked on the phone and there was no intention to like as far as where our conversation would go and, and bring you on the podcast it yeah. was just to catch up and i thought oh there's a there's an interview in here there's something that you know would be really yeah. great so thank mm-hmm. you so much i really appreciate it thank you and talk to you soon talk to you soon bye bye <laughs> Welcome back. And that was Ruini De Silva. Thank you so much, Rue, for coming on and allowing me to interview you. Hopefully we'll have Rue back in the second season as well because she does have some more health updates for us. And how fascinating is that concept of looking at your mental health, like you're tracking the weather and using numbers. And I feel like for people with chronic illness and invisible illness, one of the hardest things to do is to make our internal intangible world tangible for those around us. Even doctors, even explaining to doctors how we're feeling. I feel like that is such a key that we're all always looking for because it's like if we don't have a broken arm or a broken leg, it's as if it's not real and we're always fighting for those words and and the things that will make the impact to explain what's going on. I just find that whole concept so, so exciting and all the different context that you can put that in that you doesn't have to just be mental health it can be your physical health whatever's going on even I like we talked about when I I did my my uh, talk uh, that I had the, a sort of similar idea where you would even say like you know your struggle for that day if it was like cleaning or cooking or something you know putting a number on that for your sort of ability as well so I feel like this whole concept can go so so far and really just help us you you know when you're when you're in the thick of it and you're exhausted and you can't even think of the words and just trying to make sense of it yourself let alone explain it to somebody else so I'm so excited for this whole idea and to see it manifest in different ways so that is it that is it. We did it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that this podcast has given you a little bit of that. I'm not alone and there is so much more that we can do that's right in front of us sort of idea. I want this to be a conversation where it's a relief that we can feel like we have more of a community around us than we ever knew. We can improve our quality of life from everything that's around us just by realizing how similar we are. We are of course unique and as I've sort of talked about the puzzle metaphor previously our puzzles when we zoom out and how all the little pieces go together are completely different but when we zoom in we share some of the similar pieces and some of those similar pieces are really powerful connections that can help us use our resources better can help us build better systems and our communities are so much bigger so much bigger than we realized and we're all human we all have a mind we all have a body And if anything, that is a really good place to start. So thank you so, so much for listening. Have a beautiful start to 2022. Now we will be coming back with more. So give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe and download each episode of the podcast. And once you've listened to it, you can get rid of it, clear up that space again. You can become a Patreon subscriber. That really helps us keep the lights on. And of course, give us that beautiful magazine 
magnificent five-star rating and review, you know what I say, the other stars, they just don't work. And of course, share us with your friends. Tell your friends about us. Now, I want to give a massive thank you to Monique Egan for our super rad logo, Sean Fox for the music, and Alex Clark of Rex for the vocals of our super rad theme song, and of course, Chris Bennett for additional editing, polishing, putting the pieces together, and counselling me through putting this into the world and all around smashing it. This podcast was recorded on Boon Wurrung land. I'll see you next time. And of course, just remember, we're all human. human.